shipwrecked that's that's the first thing we're going to look at and it's in acts 27 39 it says when the daylight came this is them still stuck in the storm stormy weather in the middle of the mediterranean they did not recognize the land but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could cutting loose the anchors they left them um, in the sea and at the same time un- uh, untied the ropes that held the rudders then they hoisted the foresail to the winds and made for the beach, mateys. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran to ground. The, the bow struck fast and would not move, and uh, the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So they messed up that boat. Uh, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away. This is, of course, um, them protecting their own lives. Because if a, a soldier uh, lost, a guard um, lost their, um, if they're responsible, like for instance here, transporting prisoners, if they were to lose their prisoners, they would have to pay the price of the, you know, the prisoner's um, condemnation, basically. So whatever, whatever it is, whatever that it is that that prisoner is facing, whatever kind of judgment the prisoner is facing, if it was death, then that's what you would have to do. You'd have to die for the sake of that loss. So, it, uh, so they're protecting themselves in their mind. They're like, okay, let's kill the prisoners, and then just when we can just get out of here and think about ourselves. But this is interesting, and this kind of makes us think about last week how Paul, you know, how he came stood up and he became a leader, became a great influence, and, and, uh, and he was very helpful. In fact, if anything, they, they would have died a long time ago if it wasn't for Paul. And so he had favor with the centurion, who in verse 43 wanted to spare Paul's life. You know, uh, again, it's interesting how God works that way. You know, you know, people, even people who aren't sensitive to God or, or completely aware of God, um, you know, they can see, you know, God acting in people's lives. Um, and so Paul's life was like a, like Stuart said last week, a salt, a, you know, a, a, a savory, flavorful salt. You know, Paul's life, his actions, behavior, you know, he steps up, you know, when, when it's time to step up and does what's right, when it's time to do things that's right. And because of him and his encouragements, he, you know, I mean, these people were basically saved. Um, and so that influence, how about, remember that, we call it the Christian influence, you know, how even, it, it even affects people around us who aren't even Christians, you know, it's just, it's nice to have Christians around, basically, because of the, the blessings that come from God, and the character that comes from hope and trust and faith in God. So, so because of that, this term, he, he thinks highly of Paul, he goes, no, if we kill any of the prisoners, we kill all the prisoners, that would include Paul, and so he kept them from carrying out their plan. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So next slide. We're going to have a little wintertime holiday in Malta. And Acts 28.1 says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. 
The islanders showed us unusual kindness. The word islanders uh, is the same word as you use uh, uh, babar, bar- barbarians, which is what uh, the, the, the Greeks would call anyone who's not Greek. It's like how the Jews would call anyone who's not a Jew a Gentile. The Greeks would call anyone. Well, it's about their language. It's not just about their culture, but the language. If they talked a, a different kind of language than Greek, it sounds like they're babbling, you know, because they're quite you know, arrogant. <laughs> it's like, you don't speak the proper Greek English. We do. So you're babbling. So, so, you know, barbarians, you know, because from babbling or, you know, babar. So there's a, so that's, that's the word Islander. So, so they're, they're non-Greek speaking people. Uh, it's, not to, it's not to indicate that they were kind of, you know, they were tribal or they were hostile or anything like that. I mean, they may have been tribal, but they weren't hostile by no means. They were very hospitable. Like he says here, they, sh- they were showing them unusual kindness. Uh, they built a fire. Again, remembering it's probably going to be dark because it's uh, winter time. Um, certainly cold. Uh, and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Um, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, you know, trying to be helpful. And as he put in the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. Again, because of the cold, there's a good chance that that viper was, you know, was probably in hibernation. And so the heat uh, awakened and probably even frightened the, the, the viper if it was too close to the, the heat. So he gets up and he bites the hand of Paul. Uh, and then the islanders saw the snake ha- hanging from his hand and they, because imagine him just hanging from his hand. And they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Uh, and here we're going to see um, kind of um, something that I think we, we, we come across quite a lot in our lives. Call it superstition. Call it um, ignorance. Uh, call it... Uh, what do you call it? You know, wives' tales. You know what I'm saying? There's, it's, 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 it's those things uh, which I kind of described here on the bottom here as folk religion. It, it's just the way that people make sense of life around them. And so, and so their immediate conclusion is, oh, man bitten by snake must be a bad man. And of course, it's, it, he was obviously known to be a you know uh, not a criminal but a, a prisoner. So they're saying, oh, why is this man a prisoner? He did something wrong. Oh, you know, he, he may have escaped the crash, but God's going to get him. And he got the serpent, and the serpent got him. But, you know, God doesn't really work that way. And I wonder why God allowed this to happen. Maybe he wanted to reach the people of Malta. And so sometimes in our lives, in our ministry, we might get bitten by other kinds of things that hurt us. But it's for the purpose of maybe reaching out to hearts that are confused and awkward and weird and think, odd things like these people they thought you know which, which by the way this wasn't odd to them because this, this type of superstition was very common in the, in the first century but Paul shook this the snake off his into the fire and he suffered no illness the people expect him to swell up or suddenly fall dead but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him they changed their minds and said he was a god so I thought it would be interesting to test the integrity of the people of our church here at Cornerstone. I got a bucket of vipers in the other room. We're going to pull them out and we're going to all get bitten by them. And if you die, it's because, you know, you're not. What is this? Is this not? Okay, fine. I'll, have this, I'll bring Kool-Aid next week instead then, you know. But. <laughs> Ashton's like, huh? Anyways. 
But here, look at this. It's funny. Again, with superstitious minds and, and folk religion and, and, and these things, there's, it's not really very coherent or even sound because look how quickly they change their mind. Wait a second. One minute you're a criminal hated by God, and the next minute you are a God. It's just, you know, people could be like that, you know? It's just like, oh, we, you're a celebrity. We love you. We want to praise you and see you on TV, and you do wonderful things. We love your voice, and we love how you make us laugh and feel good. Next minute, uh, we're done with them. That's kind of the celebrity kind of pop culture way of, of going about it, and it doesn't really value human life. What it does is it values our self-interests, you know, you know, our self you know, you know, how we care for ourselves and look out for ourselves and how we feel about ourselves, you know, and our opinions about other things. But the thing is, people are souls and they need to be looked at as, as valuable in that respect. But, so here they, they're fickle. One minute he's just a criminal, next minute he's a god. Next slide, please. And so again, you know, it's something to laugh about, you know, that kind of Culture, the pop culture, you know, the way how we, you know, think about things, you know, the way how we handle things that, uh, that we, don't, we don't quite understand, we don't quite n- know, you know, uh, the way we treat each other could be quite uh, negative, but uh, it reminded me of this, obviously, you know, uh, I was hoping to find some clips about like the whole thing, like how do we know she's a witch? Well, yeah, witches burn, well, well it's burned, you know, and then and they have to like all this really dodgy logic that just doesn't make any sense. It's just, it's, it's, it's ignorance, you know? Um, but anyways, next slide. So continuing on, verse 7, they were, um, there was an estate nearby. And this is the point. And this is why I, I, I said to him, maybe there's something. In the meantime, maybe there's something else going on that, that has bitten you or bitten us or whatever. And it's an opportunity for, for, for us to be pushed forward, to be a blessing to other people. And that's, I think, what happened basically with the story is why did he get bitten? Well, I think it's because um, now they saw him in a different way. Now we can be rest assured, Paul, because Paul has been called to God before and he, he he corrected that false belief. So you can, we can assume that he corrected that false belief. You know, no, I'm not a God. I'm just, I'm a servant of God, okay? But then look at the opportunity. Look at the doors that were open because of this crazy encounter. So there was an estate nearby that belonged to um, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality. And by the way, I put the word, the reason why I put those little asterisks there by the word us is I thought to myself, and it wasn't, well, for some reason, it wasn't until this point. So I, I know that he was talking about this Articius guy who was a fellow prisoner, and, and maybe he was converted in the journeys, or maybe, or, or maybe he was a traveling companion. I, I don't know. But I forgot about Luke. All these things were being written down by Luke, remember? Luke, the scholar. Now, think about this. Luke subjected himself to these things freely. Okay, what? Okay, he, okay. Talking about like the ultimate like missionary heart, you know. The, the, I'm going to go all the way with you, Paul. Now, Paul, he he kind of had to go on the boat, right? He kind of had to go at this bad time. But but Luke, maybe even like back when they were still in Turkey, you know, in in in, in the Asian Providence, he could have said, "Listen, guys, the storms are coming. On you go, Paul. If they're going to make you go, then that's no luck for you. But I'm going to stay here and have my winter." In, in, here in, in a safe place. But Luke went with them. And I, to me, I, I mean, you might think that's a strange thing, but to me, I, you think about it and you, and you go, if he didn't go, we wouldn't have, okay, big deal. We wouldn't have chapters 27, 28 of Acts. 
Can we live without these chapters? Maybe. But also, what about the character of, of, of Luke? I mean, he was smart. He was a scholar, and he wanted to complete his job. And he took Paul all the way to Rome, and he documented these things. But he put his life at risk, the shipwreck, the, the crazy, scary, you know, you know, storm in the middle of the Mediterranean, all these things he subjected himself to for the sake and the integrity of documenting these things. I think that shows some pretty, pretty intense character on, on, on Luke's part. So he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, which basically I looked it up in the, in the Greek with that this dysentery is, is and it's bowel ailments. Uh, basically it's a sore tummy. He possibly had uh, bleeding from the bowels, colon issues, severe cramps, accompanied by constipation and diarrhea. That's a nice way to have your Sunday morning talking about things like this. But he was, you know, you know the feeling, feverish, crampy, sore tummy, you know. Was it severe? I mean, at this time, anything could be severe, you know, because it didn't have advanced medicine like we have today. But regardless, Paul went, you know, regardless of how severe it was or not, Paul went and he went to, 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 to minister to him. And, and so that's what he did. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So the effect, again, the effect, the word got out. Something's happening. God's moving. Paul's being used. You know, he's, you know people are being healed. And the effect, again, of, of, of they're, they're being honored. And again, this, this reminds you of that Christian influence again. You know how through our faith and trust in God, in that walk of God, uh, it's again, like Stuart said, it's like salt and light. You know, it's, it's an, an influence that people, even non-Christian people, can benefit from the presence of, of a faithful woman or a faithful man. You know, someone who trusts in God. And I think that's what happened here with, with Paul. You know, Paul just lived his life like normal. He's just trusting and loving in God. And, and he's, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for your dad. That's cool. I'm a, I'm a biggie. But then people were looking and watching like, this is great, you know. This, this, this guy's life is something to it that just, that, that's attracting us to him. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I mean, that's that effect, you know. But again, we, we talked about, you know, the dangers with that effect is we don't want to give people false hope either. We want to give people Jesus and say, listen, you too can have a relationship with Christ. You too can do the things that I'm doing here. You know, I'm special in one sense, the way, but in another sense, I'm not that special. You can be very similar to me. You know, you can have the same kind of faith and trust in God that I have. That gives me the ability to do things that I do. So they honored him, this effect, uh, and, 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 and in many ways they honored him. And then when they were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. The next slide, in verse 11, after three months, again, waiting for the winter to pass. So waiting until spring, until the, until the sea starts to calm again. They put out to sea in a ship that had uh, wintered. In the island, it was an Alexandrian ship. So another Alexandrian ship, possibly again from Egypt, carrying uh, supplies up to Rome uh, with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. 
this is kind of odd. Again, I think this points more to that kind of folk religion, the way people do things. I mean, you know, people won't trust in the real God who created the heavens and the earth because it's just too much of a mysterious thing, but they'll put like gods and idols on their ship to protect them from the ocean, you know? And that's basically what happened here. These twin gods were, were patroning gods of sailors. And if you put these guys on your ship, you know, you're, you're protected, you know? Superstition, you know? In Greek mythology, these demigods are twin sons of one mother, the beautiful mortal Leda, and two fathers, a mortal Spartan king, um, Tyndarius, and Zeus, who visited Leda in the form of a swan. You thought your family was weird. So, so these twins had one mom but two dads, and one dad was a swan. It sounds like shots to me too. <laughs> And also, you guys, know, you, know, you guys know the zodiac sign uh, Gemini. That's, that's, that's these guys, Gemini, uh, which also is a northern constellation, the twins, said to represent the twins, Castor and Pollux, who, whose names are given to the two brightest stars. And uh, like I said, they're also patron, um, patron gods or whatever, demigods of, of sailors. So again, they are to look after the ships. And the thing is, they put their trust in these fake gods, and they put them on their ship, saying... They'll, these fake gods, these demigods will protect us. They'll keep us safe. But what they're encountering is the real gods in Paul's life. Okay, those, those, are, those are fake gods. And I'm sure they probably have something very similar on the ship that's crashed. <laughs> but there's a real God, and that's Paul. Paul's opportunity to share and to talk about the real God. And I think, there's a, I, think, I, think, and I think he's actually quite successful. I think people are listening to him, you know, through the snake bite and through, you know, healing, you know, the man's, you know, father. You know, there's a lot of things here that Paul's doing and being used in this time, this winter time, these three months, you know, in this holiday Malta. So in verse 12, we put in at, um, here's some fun names in here that I probably won't pronounce right, into Syracuse and stayed there three days. And there we set sail and arrived at the Regium. The next day, the south winds came up and the following day we reached um, Petuli. 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 I got some Petuli. You got some Petuli. I got some Petuli. I don't know. So there we found some brothers and sisters. Okay, this is cool, guys. Okay. He's come, finally come, they're finally in Italy, basically, right? Uh, Monterey, Italy. And they're, and, and, and they're still many miles south, about 150 miles south from, from Rome. So they have to travel now up via land. But look at, look at this, a very encouraging thing. And take heart in this, very encouraging things we see here. These brothers and sisters. First of all, as far as I know, and as far as I saw in my studies and even in my commentaries, this is Paul's first attempt to get to Rome, Okay. But there was already Christians in Rome. Isn't that amazing how the Christian message spread so fast? Again, he did make many trips and there's people traveling all about. Um, and so the message got out. And there was already a, you know, there was already the seeds planted, if you will. There, there was already a, a beginning point of a church in Rome before, you know, Paul even being there. Which goes to show you that, you know, God doesn't have to use you. He doesn't have to use me. He can use other people, you know? And so it's nice to be able to have an influence on other people with the mind that these people will have an influence on other people and so on and so forth. That's awesome. So these people who, who are brothers and sisters in the Lord, they knew about Paul. They knew of Paul and they're probably very keen on meeting him and also on encouraging him because, you know, he's obviously going through some difficult times. So there in this town, Petuli, 
They found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. So they were there for a week. Maybe they were just landed. They have to, maybe the, the, the centurion um, had some business there. Maybe they had to, you know, swap hands, whatever. But they were there for a week. Uh, and then after that, they went to Rome. Okay. And in verse 15, as they traveled to Rome, this is interesting as well. The brothers and sisters there, in the Roman brothers and sisters, heard that they were coming and they traveled as far as the form of Appius in the three taverns. They met the three taverns. So here's some justification for having church in a pub. The Christians came from Rome, met Paul halfway there. And by the way, these towns are a good day's journey away from Rome. Don't forget, they didn't have the automobiles and stuff like that. So they had to walk or, you know, everywhere, pretty much. It was, it was a good Roman road. It was actually known as the Queen Road of Rome. So it was like a, a nice, you know, straight road from Rome. But these brothers and sisters gave up their whole day to basically exercise, <laughs> to walk rigorously. Just for what reason? Not to make some bucks, not to raise money for charity, but just to say hi to Paul. Isn't that really cool? It's very, it's very nice to see that love that's being shared there. And so at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God. Yeah, absolutely. What, you guys came all the way from Rome down here? Just, just as like a greeting party? And also it's significant because a lot of times when royalty would come in, they would, they would, they would, you would have like a, a party meet them. As they come into town, you know, uh, you know, a procession, you know. And so it's almost like a, a procession for Rome, you know. Isn't that awesome? He must have felt so great, you know, through all these trials and hard times to think, wow, this, is, this ministry, this thing that I'm doing, it matters. It matters. All this hard work, all these things that I've, you know, that, that we've gone through. It, it, it actually, God's showing me through these people, using people, these brothers and sisters, that it's worth it, you know. This is a life well spent, dedicated to the gospel. You know, this must have made Paul feel so encouraged, ready to keep on doing that work that's so important. So at the side of these, Paul thanked God. Thank you, God. This is awesome. And you've seen this again as from the hand of God. And he was encouraged. He was built up. He was ready to keep going. So when we got to Rome, finally, Paul was, was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So, a bit of a house arrest. And the next one is another map. Probably our last map of, oh, of Acts. Uh, there's, there's, there's kind of a picture. So, that if, they, if, they, if they finally landed here down, there it is, Paul lands there. And they spent the week there in, in Petuli. Um, and then they traveled up. And there's the, it's called the Via uh, um, Appia. And that's the, the, I call the Queen Road from Rome. Rural, long, straight roads. And so, they traveled from Rome down to three taverns, form of a Pius, and, and meet them halfway, basically. And just, just to walk with them, just to walk with Paul. Hey, man, let's walk together. So walking and talking, having some good time of fellowship. Next slide. So in verse 17, three days later, so he's in house arrest. He's being under the watchful eye of a, of a Roman soldier um, in, in, in a rented house. Three days later, 
he called together the local Jewish leaders. Again, this is kind of his thing. If you remember, like even like in his in his in his Asian journeys, he would always, whenever he entered into a town, would want to to, to meet up with the Jewish leaders. I think he had this hope. Like you, you need to just tick this box. You need to at least try to reach these guys first because these are the people that God used. These are the people that God promised. So I, we need to reach them, and we need to give them an opportunity to reach to receive the gospel. And so in his mind, he had a responsibility, you know, to the Jewish leaders to reach out to them. And so that's why he did that every time he entered town. So even in Rome, the first thing he did is he picked up the phone and called the Jewish leaders. And when they assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but I am not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar, and I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. So again, you know, he's, he basically wants to make peace. Listen, I didn't do anything. They're causing a problem. You know, the, Ro- the Roman officials see there's nothing wrong with what I did. I, I don't want to bring up any charge against anyone. I just want to, to be left alone so I can do my thing. So in verse 20, for this reason then, I've asked to see you and talk with you. So again, he's, he's, he wants to put that, that you know, that, that branch leaf out. The, you know, he, wants to, he, he wants to make some peace. You know, listen, guys, you know, I've got nothing against you, and I hope you have nothing against me. I, I just want to do what I need to do here in Rome. I've asked you to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound to this chain. So again, there's this, there's this common denominator, this link between all of them. It's the hope of Israel. You know, we all kind of have that hope you know, that in God's promises. In, in, in Paul's perspective, he's seeing it manifest right before him with Christ. And he is hoping to see that, that effect happen you know, through all the people in Rome, Jew and Gentile alike. So verse 21, they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against the sect. So they're willing to make peace. We have no problem with you, Paul. You're cool with us. We've got nothing concrete against you. But this Christianity business, we want to know about this. So they're going to come back, and he's going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So they arranged, verse 23, to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And so at this point, they might be willing to make peace with Paul, but are they willing to receive, you know, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace? You know, will this work? You know, will they be convinced? Will Paul be able to convince them um, of their need for Jesus? And here's our slide, the next slide, which is almost our last slide. So in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made his final statement. Again, very similar to what's happened with Paul time and time again, you know, all through his journeys, you know, just resistance. Uh, always this kind of interest, this like, this like, hmm, this curiosity, and that's. And if you look at the word "convinced," it, 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 it means in the Greek. I didn't put the definition for some reason, but it's like starting to be 
turned over, basically. It's like they were starting to, hmm, this kind of makes sense. But the thing is, because of their deep-rooted religiosity, maybe they, they weren't going to be able to bend to the Messiah. And, and the reason why I say that is because of Paul's response. And he says here, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet. So here he is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, 9, and 10. Go to this people and say, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. So again, it's not that God has decided to put all these Jewish people in a box and lock them away because he doesn't like them. Because we know God loves Israel. We know that God loves um, all people. In fact, I had a conversation, I had a conversation, question asked me last week about does God love Satan? We all know the answer to that, right? Of course he does. God's the ultimate loving being. He loves all kinds of disobedient people. And and Satan's a person. God loves Satan. But unfortunately, he's wicked in his heart. And he's turned his back against God. You know, God loves these people as well. What's unfortunate is what they have done. And again, this is not just a group effort. Because you can't hold a group responsible for, or an individual responsible for what a group has done, per se. It's about what your place is in this. And the thing is, these particular people are hearing, and they are closing their ears to God. They're callousing their hearts. And that's what he, that, and this is exactly what Isaiah said was going to happen. You know, Paul wants to break through. He's preaching the gospel with the understanding that he can get through. And I'm sure there's many, because we've seen through Acts even, that there are many upright religious Pharisees and and Jewish leaders have turned. Paul was one of them, for instance. It's possible to turn these people. And Paul has the hope that even if you can get through one or two, it's worth it. But here he's speaking in general. In general, his experience very much so is in keeping with what Isaiah said. For these, for these, this, this people's hearts have been calloused. They hardly hear with their eye, ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Again, the promise is there. God is still willing to heal, to deliver, to love, to heal, to... Ah, he, wants, he wants to reach these people. He wants to reach all people because he has a deep love for people. But only if they would listen, only if they would see. And so I can see Paul being very frustrated, but also wanting to be very honest with his audience and saying, listen, guys, you got to open your heart. You got to open your mind to what I'm saying here. God is doing things and here's some proof. Here's the text, but you need to open your heart and your mind. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Again, he's saying that because he knows through his missions that he's had great success preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. They have listened. They have opened their heart to God. And he's trusting that enrolling the same thing will happen again. Again, he's talking through experience. And so the, the last two verses, in conclusion, in the last slide here, which I named, Make the Best of Situation. All in all, here's Paul. He's in Rome and he's a prisoner for the next couple of years, right? So what's he going to do? He's going to make the best of a situation. So verse 30, for two whole years, Paul said, there are, or stayed rather, there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came in to see. So here is kind of a stranger. 
in a strange place, in a home that he's rented, a rented home that he's at, is in prison. But he's making the most of it. He didn't shut his doors. He didn't, you know, have a pity party. He opened his doors. He let people in. He proclaimed. Yeah, he didn't have the opportunity to sit in front of an amphitheater on the side of a mountain and preach to mass amounts of people, the multitude. But he took one person at a time every day. Right there in his little home in Rome for at least two years. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. Telling people, sharing with people the good news of God. Taught, teaching people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he used boldness, with all boldness and without hindrance. There you go. That's Paul. That's Paul. And he, we know he at least wrote, what, four good New Testament books? Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. Those are the, the, the classic. We call those the, the prison epistles. You know, so without this quiet time, if you will, we wouldn't have had those books, those encouraging, fantastic books. So this is the end of Luke's writing. It's the end of the book of Acts, but it's not the end of the story. 